The scripture reading is Genesis 2, 15, 17, 3, 1 to 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work in and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from a tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Romans five, twelve, nineteen. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how many more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass results in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners— so also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, 
If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. We ask God to bless these words to our hearts and minds. Thank you. Um, actually, this is the second time I've preached here. It was a lot, We were trying to figure out how long ago it was. I think it was almost 10 years ago. So... Maybe a little longer. I was working over here at, uh, I, I'm a, my regular daytime job is a hospice chaplain, and I was working with a, for a Saracare over here, and I got to know the pastor through the cluster because I was just trying to make contacts with other uh, pastors, and she invited me to preach when she was gone one weekend. I'm not quite, I don't even remember her name right now. It was several pastors ago, so... <laughs> But uh, so I've been uh, around here for a while, and I recognize many of the names. We kind of discussed that of uh, folks that we took care of uh, when I was working over here. So when I uh, think about doing sermons, I always try to find something that lightens it a little bit sometimes. And I was thinking it, one that makes that helps with this uh, sermon is a story of a man arriving in heaven, and he's. You know, there and seeing all these people and all of a sudden he sees this guy in this white coat dashing to and fro and giving orders and doing all kinds of stuff like he's, you know, and finally he reaches, goes over to find somebody who's been here for a while and he says, who's that guy in the white coat running around? He says, oh, that's God. Sometimes he likes to think he's a doctor. <laughs> so when we come into this season of Lent, and this time of penitence and preparation through this story of Jesus' temptation and how he overcomes them. When we look at these three temptations, what do we see? What are they telling us about? And how do they really relate to us? So we need to ask ourselves what temptation does and how we change through falling into the temptation and fulfilling it. The passage from Genesis tells us of the origin of sin through temptation. This story is familiar to us all. The serpent engages Eve in a conversation about the rules to what they could eat and what they could not eat, with it coming down to the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil prohibited. The dialogue takes up the meaning of the command, and if it were true, making it appear that it was not true that it was just something to keep them from achieving something that would improve their life and change the way that who they change who they were now the specific act of eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil was not the point of sin in just that happening there is another le level of the fall that make that is more pernicious the temptation is not just to eat 
but the temptation is to become something we are not. What that dialogue says is, if you eat the fruit of the knowledge of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not die. You will be like God. The sin here is not a specific act, but a denial of who we are. The blurring of the identity of us, the creature, with God, the creator. The fall was not in what was done, but in what we desired to become. The loss of our true identity for a false identity that fails us and fails who we are in relationship to others. Now, when we get to the story of Jesus' temptation, it is after his baptism, when he has heard the voice of God out of heaven, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus has heard who he is, the Son of God, the one loved by God. So Jesus goes out into the desert, into the desert, a place of solitude and physical testing to become disciplined in prayer and self-denial. But in this time of silence and self-denial and isolation, many thoughts and doubts arise in facing those 40 days, of being away from other influences and friends to temper the reality of our life in the world. When he was near the end of the time, the traditional time of self-denial, 40 days, there are specific strong temptations brought out for us. Two of these have a similar form, starting with, if you are the Son of God. This is a question of identity, asking Jesus, who is fully aware of the frailties of being human throughout the 40 days of fasting and denial of self, to confirm that he is indeed the Son of God. The first in Matthew's version of this is turning stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, then satisfy your human need by turning these stones into bread. The, te- the temptation here is one to change who Jesus is, to deny his identity as God's Son and take up only his human identity and its needs and being able to use those things for that end. The response to overcome this is remembering who Jesus is in relationship to God, that although food is necessary, it is what and how God speaks to us that tells us who we are and gives us all we need. The second in this order of temptations takes Jesus to where he is in danger. The temptation here again pressed him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself from the height of the temple. God will save your human body from harm. The temptation is also focusing on his identity as a human and the needs for protection and safety. Jesus replies to this by seeing that God cares for us even when we do not realize it. So do not test God's love for us in frivolous ways. The final temptation does not take the same form because it changes the focus from being the Son of God to being a person of power. If you worship me, Satan says, or you really, if you really deny your identity as God's Son, 
you can have real power and control and change the, hum, the me, human means of governing and bring God's kingdom. The temptation is to bring about what the world should be through human means. Through the system of power and control humans established, focusing on how he could, as a human, deliver his kingdom to humanity. Jesus replies to this by focusing on the human relationship with God and who we are in that relationship. The point is, we are God's creation. I look at different things at different times to get an understanding, and one of the ones that I've read was uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a teaching that the Presbyterians will use in training their uh, new folks in uh, confirmation. But the first question is, what is the chief end of humanity? Humanity's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. All of this moves Jesus from seeing who he is and, uh, and confirming his identity as the Son of God. Deny the false life of being only human, having only human needs to fulfill. By not demonstrating he is God's son for his own needs, he truly demonstrates who he is. He is truly God's son. When Paul's trying to explain this to the Romans, he takes up the contrast between Christ and Adam. That the sin introduced in Adam's failure to be who he was changed, was changed. And it was being redeemed by Jesus being who he was. Paul sees what flowed through sin from one man, one man is now ended, and now grace flows through all, all from another man. Our place is to see who we are in that flow of that history and be who we are, to be sinners redeemed by God's grace in Jesus Christ and thereby children of God. When we're meeting folks in different places, in some way we are asking, who are you? This allows us to identify and know them. What happens when we ask ourselves that? Can we confirm that we are who we are to be? Children of God, who have life and live in God's love, sharing all that sharing that with others and bringing them into the place where God's love is found and known. When we know who we are and we are God's creation and that God loves us enough to sacrifice Jesus to bring us redemption, we have moved to being able to defeat temptation and live a full life in the life God has given to us. Amen.